welcome to the worst bestsellers, where sometimes we actually read good stuff. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And this is part two of our end of the year book review for the year 2014. Um, in part one, we talked about our favorites for um, children's and middle grade books and young adult books. And today we have for you our favorites from the world of adult literature and also comics and graphic novels. Just like part one, we'll give you each our top five favorites and then a one least favorite. Um, it's not necessarily stuff that was published in 2014, just stuff that we happened to read in 2014. And as always, it is um, very subjective to our whims and not necessarily to any one standard of quality, per se. You know, also the stuff that we like, like I realized looking over mine that 90% of the books that I talked about were horror books this year. So if you don't like horror, sorry. (sighs) If you don't like horror, listen to my suggestions. (laughs) (laughs) But you should still read Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe because literally as we stopped the last episode, I started crying about it again thinking about it. (laughs) So, moving on. It's okay, Kate. (laughs) All right, so I had a hard time picking a top five and so I'm cheating slightly and I've got a top five favorites and then... Also, a bonus number six book that I'm just going to call my Fuck the Haters Award book. (laughs) And um, that is the book Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, which I read because so many people that I I like and respect were talking about and just um, shitting on it and saying, like, oh, Sheryl Sandberg, like, it's just such nonsense. Like, she doesn't even understand what it's like to be a working class woman. And this book is just, like, terrible for feminism and, like, blah, blah, blah. And so I wanted to read it. I think I thought it would be kind of a hate read, but I at least wanted to see what it was. And I read it, and then I realized that most of the people who had been talking shit about it hadn't read it and were just, I guess, assuming what a book about feminism by a CEO would be like. And it is actually really good. I found it really, like, I'm obviously not a business person. I'm a librarian, but I found it really helpful and enjoyable to read um, I think she is, Sheryl Sandberg is very interested in a very broad feminism and, you know, she acknowledges that the strategy she talks about for getting ahead at work might not be relevant for everyone, but she talks about how it could even apply in your personal life, this concept of, one of the core concepts is talking about how women don't apply for a promotion unless they feel like they have 100% of the qualifications or for a new job if they don't feel like they have 100% of the qualifications and men will do it if they feel like they have like 60% or something like that. And often they will get the job. And so there's a lot of just like really good usage of statistics in it that just really like quantify this kind of um, imposter syndrome and a lot of the problems that that society has given to women because society sucks. And and I, I found it really, uh, you know, it's not necessarily even, like, hugely groundbreaking, but I thought that it was very cohesively put together, really well done. And then I started talking to people at part talking back to people at parties about it, and I found out that almost no one that hates it has actually read it. And so I just, to me, it didn't quite make my top five favorite books, but it gets the special word for being, like, way better than I thought it would be and way better than all these people who haven't read it make it sound like it is. So 
Um, I would I would recommend reading it uh, whether or not you think that you might like it. All right. Well, I guess I'll start the actual top fives now. Mm-hmm. Sound good? Sound good. All right. My first pick for my fifth favorite book of, for adults for the year was Dead Mountain by Donnie Eaker. The book is a nonfiction book that tries to solve the mystery of the Dyatlov Pass incident, which is a thing that happened in Russia in the northern Ural Mountains in February of 1959. This group of really experienced hikers who were all very athletic and very used to hiking in, um, you know, terrible snowy conditions disappeared and were missing for a long time and when they were found it was in a state of disarray and chaos like some of them they were really far from the tent but not fully clothed the tent had been shredded and it looked like it was shredded from the inside it was just like a total unexplainable mess Some of them had wounds, and it was hard to tell where the wounds came from. They were stuck in different layers of snow, so it, like, looked like they weren't... Some of them were still inside the tent. It was no one... It was unexplained for forever, because it was before the fall of the Soviet Union. There was a lot of, like, hush-hush stuff around it that people thought that maybe it was a military testing site... Maybe the government was somehow involved. Maybe they saw something they shouldn't have seen. And then, of course, there's all the supernatural. Maybe it was aliens. Maybe it was ghosts. Maybe it was whatever. And it was just this unexplained mystery that I became kind of fascinated with. I guess, like, sometime in college, like, reading a Wikipedia page or something, um, or seeing it on, like, Unsolved Mysteries or something like that. So this was a book that came out pretty recently in the past couple of years, written by this guy who was also fascinated by it and decided that he was going to go out and try to solve the mystery. And it was really cool. Like, it was probably not the most well-written nonfiction book that I read this year, but I have to say it was freaking gripping. A free preview was available that I read, and I was so into it that I immediately downloaded the Kindle copy and then just read it. I just sat and I read it until it was done. And he comes to some interesting conclusions that sound logical to me. Like, obviously, no one's going to know exactly what happened because it's impossible because it happened a gazillion years ago and everyone who was there is dead. But, like, his conclusions are sound and they're backed up by science. It was satisfying to me as a reader to read, like, hundreds of pages of this and then have this be the conclusion that he drew. And uh, I really liked it and you should read it. I'm, I'm putting it on my TBR list now. But I will tell you about my top five book, which is The Magician's Land by Lev Grossman, or Grossman, perhaps, um, which is the th- the third book in the Magician's trilogy. The first two are The Magician's and uh, The Magician King. And the the concept is sort of loosely, you know, Harry Potter slash Narnia for grownups. It's a, a darker, grittier magic school book and then they get transported to the land of Fillory which is like Narnia but again darker and this was the final one it tied up a lot of loose ends that I thought had been dropped and I I really like the first two books I'm actually rereading them now I kind of meant to reread them before I read the third one 
Oh, and then I had the audiobook and I wanted to listen to it on my drive. So I was like, well, fuck it, I'll just listen. And uh, and now I'm rereading it and sort of connecting back to the third one and realizing just like how good it is. And also, I hardly ever reread books anymore because there's just so much stuff that I want to read. Like something's, I've got to have really good reason anymore to reread something. So that alone speaks really highly that I'm rereading these and also that for me, they have held up so well and that they have connected so well back to this third one. Really great. I would recommend to any, you know, especially to to fans who have grown up with Harry Potter, grown up with Narnia or any of that. I, I think they're fantastic. Cool. I've always meant to read those and never really got around to it. Well, now the trilogy is complete. Jump on board. <laughs> I'll put them on my list. <laughs> My number four book is uh, The Universe versus Alex Woods by Gavin Extens. Is It's one of those, like, somebody recommended it to me because they thought it was a really good crossover, like, adult, young adult sort of book. Like, it's marketed as an adult book, but they thought that it had a lot of appeal for younger readers. And um, I know I've said this many times before on this podcast, but I don't really read that many adult books anymore. So someone read this and they're like, this is my selling point to you. This is what, you know, you'll like it. And I did. And not, um, I can see the appeal as a crossover. I think it definitely falls in the adult book category, but it is about a teen protagonist, um, a boy who was struck by a meteor as a child and became kind of a scientific celebrity because of it, but also has scars and has some medical like lingering medical problems because of it and is thus an outcast and he's like a science nerd and his best friend becomes this American Vietnam War vet and he gets like pulled into all of these these like crazy tragic events but they're hilarious the author just has a really good way of making all of these dark things very funny and it's kind of absurd, and it's kind of, like, like, I almost felt like it was very, like, reminiscent of Kurt Vonnegut, I guess. But it was fun, and it was a fun read. It was a quick read. It's a pretty long book. I think it's, like, 400 pages, but, like, I blew through it, and I really enjoyed it. And if, like me, you tend to prefer more young books aimed at a younger audience to more literary adult fiction, then I would recommend this to you as well. All right. Uh, My number four book is This Changes Everything by Naomi Klein. Uh, Naomi Klein is a a journalist and writer who I really um, respect. Her last, her other two, like, full-length nonfiction books are No Logo and The Shock Doctrine, and I loved both of those when I read them, um, and I love this, too. She has, she's a really great writer, and she's really great at taking these very complicated issues. Like this one is about um, climate change and she's great about just sort of untangling it and presenting it in a way that is easy to follow and, and compelling narratively. Like, you know, I mean, I'm, I care about the environment. I'm opposed to climate change, but I wouldn't necessarily sit down and read a whole book about climate change, like eagerly. And this was like, Oh, it was almost a, a page turner which I wouldn't like she's very good is what I'm saying and um, and I think uh, like her attitude is one that really resonated with me too because she talks very openly about not at first even wanting to look into it that much because she was kind of just resigned to like well we're screwed and like there's nothing that we can do at this point and I was like yeah I do feel that way and then 
she's really good at presenting it as if, well, no, like, here's, like, what can be done. Here's what's being done. There is hope, but we have to do it, like, right now. She's highlighting a lot of groups that are doing really important, really good work right now. So it's motivational in that way, I guess. Yeah, I would definitely recommend This Changes Everything by by Naomi Klein and also everything else that she has ever written. I think I'll have to get that from my dad. Oh, yeah. Uh, sounds like it would be right up his alley. Yeah. Also, I had to laugh when you were like, I care about climate change, but like I wouldn't sit down and read a book about it because uh, listeners will not know this probably, but Renata and I saw An Inconvenient Truth together oh, yeah. <laughs> um, in theaters <laughs> many years ago, and we both sobbed through the whole thing, and it's- I think we were a little embarrassed afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, I mean, so I, I would go see a documentary about it in the theaters and cry at it, but and I and I would sit down and read a book about it, I guess, but I wouldn't just read any book about climate change, okay? Oh, God. <laughs> um. All right, moving on. Um, we should. This my... podcast should be called like worst bestsellers colon things that we've cried about that we should have. <laughs> Sidebar, that same summer, we went to go see the documentary about um, crossword puzzles. Oh, my God. And we made some, was it one or two people? We made, like, two other people come with us, and they were like, well, that was certainly a documentary about crossword puzzles that you forced us to see. I think I cried at that, too. (laughs) It wouldn't surprise me. By the way, it's really good, and I think you should see that crossword puzzle documentary. <laughs> I think so, too. It was very enjoyable. Lots of, um, you know, interesting history of the New York Times crossword puzzle. Anyway. <laughs> Side recommendation. <laughs> um, so my my fourth favorite book, this was really tough. Like, my, my top three were really tough, because I really loved all three of these books. I'm going to say uh, was Rooms by Lauren Oliver. Lauren Oliver is a young adult author, mostly, and I think this was her first adult book. I'm not positive. I think so, too. But I saw her at Boston Book Fest, and it was funny, because she was up, her panel was up against a middle grade panel that I think I wanted to go to, but I was with someone else, and they said, like, oh, I, I was really interested in this, because I'm really interested in her book, and I looked, and I was like, oh, she's a young adult author, I really love all her young adult books, oh, and this book is about ghosts, and, like, haunted houses, and family, and those are some of my favorite things. <laughs> So we ended up going, and the panel was ridiculous for many reasons I won't get into. But I did end up meeting a friend of the podcast, Margaret, Mrs. Friday Next, while there. And we, you know, were able to to buckle down and get through it together. And I went home, and once I had a free moment, I started reading the book. And it was just really engaging, really interesting. Like, the ghost aspect was cool, but the family aspect was almost better, like the kind of found family-ness to it. And all the different POV characters were really interesting. And I just really enjoyed it, and I definitely recommend it. I I read Rooms this year, too, and I also really liked it. It would, it would probably be in my top ten, but not my top five, I guess, is how that shook out. But I, I'll second that recommendation. Fair, fair. And uh, I guess I'll jump into my number three book, which is Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple. This is, it's a few years old. 
And it's another one, actually, that I grabbed on audiobook because the audiobook was about 10 hours long and I had a 10-hour drive to make. And often, if an audiobook isn't great, I'll kind of space out or I'll want to listen to music instead. And this was one where, like, as soon as I got to the end of a disc, I immediately, like, shoved in the next disc and I loved it. And it's just this, and it's another one, it's adult with crossover to young adult. I think it won an Alex Award the year it came out, I'm not sure. It's funny, and it's kind of a mystery, and um, a family story, and after I finished listening to it, I, I looked up Maria Semple, and I saw that she had written for Arrested Development, which is one of my favorite shows, and I was like, that makes sense, because it has a lot of things in common sort of with Arrested Development, like the very sharp humor and the weird family dynamics. I think Where'd You Go, Bernadette is maybe a little, like, warmer and nicer than Arrested Development, but, um, and also the way that Arrested Development, like, I I love the way Arrested Development is crafted so much, how, like, weird things will come back, like, almost a full season later, and be like, I almost forgot about that, but it like you didn't show. And this book had very much that same thing going on. And um, if you're looking for audiobooks, uh, let me look up real quick right now who read it. But she did a really good job. She There's a bunch of different characters. This wasn't full cast, but she did a really good job of just doing um, different voices and accents and all of that. And that, I think, probably enhanced my experience of the book. Kathleen Wilhoty, or Wilhoity. Anyway, great job, Kathleen. Really solid. All right. So I'll do my number two, which was Yes, Please, which was a memoir by Amy Poehler. And this was one of those books that, like, I probably would eventually have picked up, maybe. But Amy Poehler was doing an event here in Boston, because she's from this area, where she was in conversation with her old English teacher. So we ended up going to the event and with the, with entrance to the event, like you got a free copy of the book because it was like a, you know, $30 ticket and they gave you a book. So I had the book in my purse and even then I probably like would have put it on my shelf and gotten to it eventually. But because it was raining that night, I put the book in my purse and I put a whole bunch of other stuff on top of it so it wouldn't get wet. And then a couple days later I was at work and I had left my Kindle at home And I was looking for something to read and it was there and I started reading it and it was actually like really engaging and really honest and smart. And I mean, like, I obviously didn't think otherwise. I know that Amy Poehler is really smart and really funny and really thoughtful and and all of those things. But there was so much in it that just seemed so personal and so honest and such good advice like essentially like how to live your life and be you and do what needs to be done and fulfill the roles that you need to fulfill while still having yourself. Like there was really good stuff in there about like suffering from insomnia, about how hard it is to write, but not in like the noble way that, you know, people who are writers act like, you know, oh, well, it was so difficult. The words were like leading out of me, but no, like literally like finding time in your day to write, making the words go on the page is hard in a way that she hadn't expected when writing a book. And I was just really impressed by it. Um, I know that celebrity memoirs are like a dime a dozen. And I know that since Amy Poehler, you know, does do comedy writing, you probably would give her like, you know, she's a little above people who hire a ghostwriter and whatever. But like, I absolutely would recommend this, even if her name wasn't attached to it. It's really good. 
I also loved it, and I'm just going to write in Kate's coattails here, because I, I didn't put it in my top five, because I read a lot of really good books. But, uh, <laughs> yes, Please was great, and I'm going to chime in on another chapter that I really loved was where she talks about um, apologies and how hard it can be to apologize for things. And Oh my god, yes. It's like that kind of honesty. Like she talks very like frankly about a fuck up that she made like years ago and then how how much she regretted it and how that person like ultimately didn't forgive her and she had to sort of respect that. And uh, like like it's just full of a lot of like very deep honesty, which is something that that I, I admire in books and life. Yeah, I really felt like, like, I feel like with a lot of memoirs, especially with celebrity memoirs, not to shit all over celebrities, but... Yeah, because Courtney Robertson wrote a really great book. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I feel like a lot of people write a book because that's, like, what you do now, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if you're a celebrity, you write a memoir. But I feel like she had something to say. Like, it wasn't like, well, time to write the memoir. But, like, she actually, you know, I I felt like there there was more meaning and truth behind a lot of what she was saying than you would necessarily expect of books, you know, Mm -hmm. in that genre. And a lot of it, too, was just about, like, giving shout-outs to, like, friends and colleagues that she respected. And, you know, I think that is very much, like, the improv attitude, and she comes out of improv comedy, and you know that that's what yes please is kind of from that yes. like you know say yes attitude but i i really liked it everything kate said yeah <laughs> i heard um similar things actually about alan cummings uh book that recently came out i liked his book too and i didn't put it in my top five but again maybe top 10 yeah. very good very much better than the novel that he wrote his novel is not good but his memoir pretty good <laughs> and yeah again actually does have a, a good story to tell and not just like anyway (laughs) all right so um my official number two and not one that i'm just stealing from kate is uh (laughs) americana by um chimamanda ngozi adichie and this author i had actually heard of her in grad school we watched her ted talk um the danger of a single story and i'd really liked it and then i i remembered her again as as many did when Beyonce released her latest album and in the song Flawless, she just like samples some of her other Ted talk about feminism. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's great. I should probably read her book. Uh, since Beyonce told me to, and, uh, Beyonce's right. It's really good. Um, well the, the part that, that, that is in the song Flawless is not from this book, but this was her newest book. It's, um, she has written others that I should get around to, I guess. But Americana is just, um, it's the story of a young couple who grew up in Nigeria and then moved to the U.S. Or, no, um, Ifemelu, who's the, the woman of the couple, moves to America, and Obinze ends up in London. And it's, it's a love story, but it's also um, about race in America and race in London and it's about academia and she's just like a very clever sharp writer and she has a lot of like scathing smart things to say about race in America but it doesn't to me feel like didactic it's just like very much part of her experience as a as a human in America and I I would strongly recommend it and I also recommend Beyonce 
<laughs> Who doesn't? Mm-mm. So I guess Renata and I both had the, the best adult book for the year. Our number one book for adults that we read in 2014 was Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay for both of us. Yes. And even though I, I have so many good things to say about this book. I mean, if if you're on the internet, you probably already love Roxane Gay or yeah. have heard like other people say similar things about her. If you don't like Roxane Gay, you probably have Are such... not the type of person who would listen to this podcast, uh-huh, first uh-huh. off. <laughs> <laughs> Unless this is like your hate listen, like, <laughs> in which case, go on. <laughs> You're really going to hate what we have to say next. (laughs) (laughs) She's just so great. And she's so, you know, everything she says and writes is just like really spot on and really personal and wonderful. And she's wise. She is. Like a talking tree. And I was so happy to see her. She um, she writes for The Toast now, to, to an offshoot of The Toast, um, The Butter, which makes me so happy because I feel like um, Mallory Ortberg and all of the women that she curates, she and Nicole Cliff curate for The Toast, are of a voice that is very similar to Roxanne's. And it comes from a place that's very similar, a place of like support and positivity instead of negativity i guess yeah. but i mean also of like very firmly not taking any shit but yes yeah you probably like, already know i hope you already yeah. know i and if not like check out those websites too mm-hmm. read this book mm-hmm. read everything that she's ever written anywhere follow her tumblr um <laughs> follow her twitter stop listening to her yeah. podcast and just do what Roxane Gay tells you to Yes, yes, right, immediately, immediately do it. <laughs> we'll wait. <laughs> anyway, yeah, since we both picked the same book, we are going to um, co-read an excerpt for you. And this is a piece that, it circulated online earlier this year, so you might have seen it. Um, a lot, Most of the things that are included in this book, which is an essay collection, have been online or in print somewhere else before. But it's, it's really nice to have them all together in a book to read and pledge allegiance to. Yes. And um, this is a a piece entitled How to Be Friends with Another Woman, which Kate and I are are working on. (laughs) It's okay, I guess. (laughs) And um, it's written in list form. And I'll So I guess I'll start and we're going to... Oh, that's how it's going to (laughs) be? I thought we were friends, Kate. (laughs) I didn't come here to make friends, Renata. Fine. (laughs) Kate can start. (laughs) And I will alternate down the list. (laughs) One, abandon the cultural myth that all female friendships must be bitchy, toxic, or competitive. This myth is like heels and purses, pretty but designed to slow women down. 1A, this is not to say women aren't bitches or toxic or competitive sometimes, but rather to say that these are not defining characteristics of female friendship, especially as you get older. 1B. If you find that you are feeling bitchy, toxic, or competitive towards the women who are supposed to be your closest friends, look at why and figure out how to fix it and or find someone who can help you fix it. 2. A lot of ink is given over to mythologizing female friendships as curious, fragile relationships that are always intensely fraught. 
Stop reading writing that encourages this mythology. Three, if you are the kind of woman who says, I'm mostly friends with guys, and act like you're proud of that, like that makes you closer to being a man or something, and less of a woman as if being a woman is a bad thing, please see item 1B. It's okay if most of your friends are guys, but if you champion this as a commentary on the nature of female friendships, well, soul search a little. 3A. If you feel like it's hard to be friends with women, consider that maybe women aren't the problem. Maybe it's just you. 3B. I used to be this kind of woman. I'm sorry to judge. 4. Sometimes your friends will date people you cannot stand. You can either be honest about your feelings or you can lie. There are good reasons for both. Sometimes you will be the person dating someone your friends cannot stand. If your man or woman is a scrub, just own it so you and your friends can talk about more interesting things. My go-to explanation is, I am dating an asshole because I'm lazy. You are welcome to borrow it. 5. Want nothing but the best for your friends because when your friends are happy and successful, it's probably going to be easier for you to be happy. 5A. If you're having a rough go of it and a friend is having the best year ever and you need to think some dark thoughts about that, do it alone, with your therapist, or in your diary so that when you actually see your friend, you can avoid the myth discussed in item 1. 5B. If you and your friends are in the same field and you can collaborate or help each other, do this without shame. It's not your fault your friends are awesome. Men invented nepotism and practically live by it. It's okay for women to do it too. 5C. Don't tear other women down, because even if they're not your friends, they are women, and this is just as important. This is not to say you cannot criticize other women, but understand the difference between criticizing constructively and tearing down cruelly. 5D. Everybody gossips, so if you are going to gossip about your friends, at least make it fun and interesting. As a corollary, never say, I never lie, or I never gossip, because you are lying. 5E. Love your friend's kids even if you don't want or like children. Just do it. 6. Tell your friends the hard truths they need to hear. They might get pissed about it, but it's probably for their own good. Once, my best friend told me to get my love life together and demanded an action plan, and it was irritating, but also useful. 6a. Don't be totally rude about truth-telling, and consider how much truth is actually needed to get the job done. Finesse goes a long way. 6b. These conversations are more fun when preceded by an emphatic, girl? 7. Surround yourself with women you can get sloppy drunk with who won't draw stupid things on your face if you pass out, and who will help you puke if you over-celebrate, and who will also tell you if you get sloppy drunk too much or behave badly when you are sloppy drunk. 8. Don't flirt, have sex, or engage in emotional affairs with your friend's significant others. This shouldn't need to be said, but it needs to be said. That significant other is an asshole, and you don't want to be involved with an asshole who's used goods. If you want to be with an asshole, get a fresh asshole of your very own. They are abundant. 9. Don't let your friends buy ugly outfits or accessories you don't want to look at when you hang out. This is just common sense. 10. When something is wrong and you need to talk to your friends and they ask you how you are, don't say fine. They know you're lying and it irritates them and a lot of time is wasted with the back and forth of are you sure and yes and really and I am fine. Tell your lady friends the truth so you can talk it out and either sulk companionably or move on to other topics. 11. If four people are dining, split the check evenly four ways. We are adults now. We don't need to add up what each person had anymore. If you're high rolling, just treat everyone and rotate who treats. 
If you're still in the broke stage, do what you have to do. 12. If a friend sends a crazy email needing reassurance about love, life, family, or work, respond accordingly and in a timely manner, even if it's just to say, girl, I hear you. If a friend sends you like 30 crazy emails needing reassurance about the same damn shit, be patient because one day that's going to be you tearing up Gmail with your drama. My mother's favorite saying is, que se resemble, se assemble? I don't speak French, I'm sorry. (laughs) Whenever she didn't approve of who I was spending time with, she'd say this ominously. It means, essentially, you are whom you surround yourself with. Aw. Yeah. Friends. Friends. And if you want more of that, you should absolutely read this book or, like, you know, just find Roxane Gay on the internet. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, now that we've had our high, I guess let's move on to our lows and say our worst books of the year. All right. Um, So my worst book of the year is, again, not necessarily a book that I hated or even didn't like. I liked this book. But again, it was a book that disappointed me. Um, It's called Horror Store. And it's by Grady Hendrix. And it is a horror story set at a haunted big box store that's essentially Ikea. There are some things that I love about this book. I love the design of it. The book literally looks like an Ikea catalog. It's oversized. It's the same shape as an Ikea catalog. The pictures look like it could be right out of Ikea. Like the names of products are that like fake Swedish whatever. When you open up the front cover, it's like a map of the store's showroom. It has that same sort of iconography and like order forms. Even the fonts are the same. The design of this book is brilliant and super smart and super intelligent and funny and fun and great. But (laughs) the actual story is fairly generic-y, which would have been fine. Like I said, it's it's not a bad book, but I was so hyped up based on like what it looked like and how it was put together that I was super excited to read it. And then it ended up being, you know, good, but not great. And one of the main good but not great problems that I had with it is that it's very clearly a parody of Ikea, but it takes place in a world where Ikea exists, which doesn't make sense to me. The store itself is called Orsk, and it's supposed to be like an Ikea knockoff. And I feel like the the book would have worked better if it had actually been like this universe's Ikea. Like we know, we can we know by looking at it, by looking at the design, by hearing them talk about it, that it's supposed to be Ikea, that it's an Ikea patter- parody. You don't need to actually have in the text, like, it was just like Ikea, but, like, lower budget, but, like, basically Ikea, you know? So think Ikea, but not, like, it was unnecessary. It could have been done in a way where you didn't need that. But overall, like, if you are into, like, kind of interestingly designed books and horror stories, I'd say go for it. I would say maybe take it out of the library. I would skip the Kindle edition because, like I said, the design is so important, but, you know, borrow it from a friend, <laughs> take it out of the library. I'll read a couple pages that kind of highlights that Ikea problem that I have with it. It was dawn, and the zombies were stumbling through the parking lot, streaming towards the massive beige box at the far end. Later, they'd be resurrected by megadoses of Starbucks, but for now, they were the barely living dead. Their causes of death differed. 
hangovers, nightmares, strung out on, from epic online gaming sessions, circadian rhythms broken by late night TV, children who couldn't stop crying, neighbors partying till 4 a.m., broken hearts, unpaid bills, roads not taken, sick dogs, deployed daughters, ailing parents, midnight ice cream binges. But every morning, five days a week, seven during the holidays, they dragged themselves here to the one thing is it, thing in their lives that never changed, the one thing they could count on come rain or shine or dead pets or divorce, work. Orsk was the all-American furniture superstore in Scandinavian drag, offering well-designed lifestyles at below IKEA prices, and its forward-thinking slogan promised a better life for everyone, especially for Orsk shareholders, who trekked to company headquarters in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, every year to hear how their chain of IKEA knockoff stores was earning big returns. Orsk promised customers the everything they needed in the, every phase of their lives, from balsak cradles to Gutevol rocking chairs. The only thing it didn't offer was coffins. Yet. So, you know, like I said, it's not bad, but to make it such an obvious IKEA pastiche and then, like, right near the beginning there, throw in, like, IKEA knockoff just threw me off. My worst book of the year was very bad. Um, this is, the like, the one category, I think. Well, no, also comics. But this is not just, like, oh, it was, like, the least good. This sucked. And the only reason I really got through it is because it, I actually kind of want to do a future episode about this book. I think it might really qualify as a worst bestseller. Um, we'll talk about that later. But uh, it is called Raylan by Elmore Leonard. And what this is kind of, I'm going to explain a little bit, I guess. Um, there's a show on FX called Justified that I like very much. And it's kind of a contemporary Western anti-hero kind of thing which is the kind of thing that I, I like. And it's based originally on a short story by Elmore Leonard. Um, and it's the story of Raylan Givens, who's this um, U.S. deputy marshal, and his childhood best friend Boyd Crowder, who they grew up working in a coal mine together. And then Raylan kind of got out and got this law enforcement job. And Boyd stayed in their small town and became kind of like a crime lord. Basically, and so they they come back and have this this Raylan and Boyd showdown, and in the short story, uh, Boyd dies at the end, and when they decided to turn that into a TV show, they were like, actually, Boyd is the most interesting character, and we're going to go ahead and say he survives that shooting, which is a, a great decision. But I think that, that alone just shows that Elmore Leonard maybe didn't quite realize like what's great about this story. So a after it got turned into a show which again, I really like the show. He wrote a few more books, but because the books then came after the show, now it's like Elmore Leonard is like writing justified fan fiction. And it's <laughs> not good. Like I've literally read much better justified fan fiction than this novel. So like, for example, this part that I'm about to read, Raylan as a, as a uh, deputy has all kinds of like weird jobs and he ends like weird cases um, and so this one, he's been investigating Jackie Nevada, who's this like college student poker champion, and there's some kind of shady dealings with the money, and she's like really hot. And in the show, they kind of have a flirtation, and Raylan is played by Timothy Oliphant, who's like I think late 40s maybe, but like you know really good looking 40s, like 
you know. And then Jackie Nevada is in college, and they kind of have this flirtation. And all of Raylan's coworkers are like, Raylan, that's gross. Raylan, quit it. Raylan. And, like, the show is, like, very funny about it. And it, and then it's never really, like, they have a flirtation, and it doesn't really seem like anything necessarily comes of it in the show. In the book, here's what fucking happens. Raylan put down the phone, tore the rest of his clothes off, and ran to the bathroom and paused. Got ready. He opened the shower door saying, hi, are you decent? Saying, you're way more than decent. She said, holding up her hands, I've been in here so long, I'm starting to shrivel. I'm sure not, Raylan said, giving her a poke. Talking to your boss turned you on? Something around here does. I wonder if it's this bare naked girl in here with me. Watching me so I won't run away. You do backs? Fronts and sides. Let me lather you up. She said, no, let me work on you. He was at the place where he was thinking of ways to keep this going while Jackie was soaping every part of him. Run out and bring in some champagne. Say, that's my cell and run out. Take a couple of deep breaths and think of cleaning your weapon, your gun, then step back in. This was for fun. She said, if I joined the marshals, could I be your partner? I'd make it happen, Raylan said, giving his new partner another poke. She said, remember young Frankenstein? The monster gets done with what's-her-name, and she starts singing about finding the sweet mystery of life? What made you think of that? I don't know, Jackie said. Okay, it's gross. It's garbage. It's barely coherent. And, yeah, like, I, I mean, I it sounds like maybe I skipped, like, I did not skip things. It's written in a way that doesn't fully make sense. And... I mean, Elmer Leonard, I mean, he's dead now. I think he was very old when he wrote this. Maybe it needed some more editing. I hate this book so much. Just watch the TV show. Oh, my God. Wow. Well, there you have it, guys. Possible future (laughs) episode. (laughs) That sounds terrible. It is. All right. Well, why don't we go back then to some less terrible things, by which I mean comics and good comics. Comics that we liked this year. Why don't you start? Okay. And um, before I even start, I'm going to say that, again, like, I'm looking at Kate's list, and I liked everything on her list. There were a lot of really good comics that I read this year. But for me, um, I've narrowed it down to top five. Comics and graphic novels both were using that together. And for me, I'll say that my number five was She-Hulk, specifically um, the She-Hulk run by Dan Slott. There's also a newer She-Hulk comic that I think was recently canceled, and um, it's also good. I forget the author. But this um, this was from a few years ago, but just this year they put out, like, the complete She-Hulk by Dan Slott, and it's this huge volume. And the, the art, well, because it collects so many issues, there's more than one artist. The first artist listed is Juan Bobillo. And it's just, it's everything I like about comics. Um, She-Hulk, a.k.a. Jen Walters, is so smart and funny and delightful. And there's all these weird stories. Like, the premise is she's a lawyer who handles cases for other superheroes. And there's all these just, like, weird legal, like, loopholes that she has to exploit for other superheroes. And then also some just sort of straight-up smashing. And then also romance. And it's it's everything great. She-Hulk. Hooray. Yeah, I the the currently running or the the current recently canceled she run on She Hulk was almost on my top five. So I love She Hulk, and I also love that run that Renata was talking about. So you should definitely read it. My number five 
is this was a tough one um all of these were tough i could i had like a million comics that i wanted to list and i tried to keep it between to add make sure that i included some graphic novels as well and not all superhero comics and stuff like that like i I made a lot of rules for myself when i was putting together this list uh coming in at number five i'm going to say the hawkeye series by matt fraction with art by annie Wu, specifically the la woman which is a collection of stories that are about Kate Bishop, who is Hawkeye. And the actual series is kind of split between half the issues are about Clint Barton, who's also Hawkeye, and half are about Kate, and some of them are them together. And this particular collection um, is about Kate, who is fed up with Clint's bullshit, is fed up with everything, and decides that she's going to go out to L.A. and spend her summer, like, living on the beach and... Like, away from all the people who are irritating her, and a series of events lead from her, Kate's a socialite, to her having no money, and essentially getting a job cat-sitting for this woman in a trailer on the beach, and trying to pick up money on the side by freelance PI slash superheroing. Uh, It's really good. The art is really good. The art in all the Hawkeye series is superlative, but Annie Wu draws the best faces on Kate Bishop. It is amazing. Mm-hmm. So you should absolutely read this series. You should absolutely read this particular collection of, uh, it's called LA Woman, and it's great. I agree. And for a long time, I've been wanting to start a Tumblr that's just of superheroes with cats. And I so I especially love this because it would um, give Kate Bishop a place there. <laughs> so look for that one day on Tumblr. But for now, I'll just move on and say my number four um, graphic novel of the year was Seconds by Brian Lee O'Malley, who wrote the Scott Pilgrim series, which I really liked. And I really loved Seconds. It's a little... I think Brian Lee O'Malley is about the same age as me, and so, like, Scott Pilgrim, when that came out, I think, ten years ago, I kind of related to that sort of adrift 20-something. And now Seconds, I'm like, oh, now I kind of relate to this, because it's about a girl named Katie who... She runs a restaurant, and she's kind of at a place in her life where she's trying to balance her professional and personal obligations, and she discovers this mushroom that grows in her house that allows her to undo mistakes. And so she keeps undoing things and trying to figure out different ways she can have, like, her most perfect life. And if you know anything about, like, time travel or this kind of thing, like quickly things get out of hand but it's just a really um it really resonated with me it's very funny like scott pilgrim but i think it has a little more emotional depth um and i would especially you know recommend it to like kind of late 20 something 30 somethings who maybe feel slightly adrift and would like a cute graphic novel to help them cope (laughs) my number two is or number four rather (laughs) my number four sorry sorry my my number (laughs) four um graphic novel is this one summer by mariko and jillian tamaki um this is a coming of age book um about two girls one who is 12 and one who's a little younger and they're summer friends um their families have summer cabins right next to each other on the lake and they spend every summer together and the main character is growing up a little bit more and she's starting to become interested in boys and looking cool and 
um, being accepted and being popular and kind of testing her boundaries and the story it's just, it's it's sad and it's good and it made me cry which as we established is easy but <laughs> i i read it actually at a baseball game and i cried because <laughs> um, i'm not super into baseball but um my family was visiting and it was like the last yankees game of the season and it was like or the second to last and it was the second to last Derek Jeter's game ever so my parents were like oh my god we have to go uh so I I went and my mom was like just bring books (laughs) (laughs) um but it's really good um the the main character's family is going through some very stifled and hard things that she doesn't quite understand and the reader can guess but isn't positive about until the very end because it's all told from her point of view and um I think it was a brilliant way to tell the story because that perspective of a 12 year old and what you catch and what you don't and sometimes you catch things that adults don't catch but adults are having conversations that go completely over your head importance wise it was just really good it was very sweet very achy Mm -hmm. and the art was beautiful Mm -hmm. I absolutely recommend it I do too even though it's not officially on my list but what officially is on my list uh, for number three is El Defo by C.C. Bell. This is a more middle grade or, um, yeah, children's middle grade. I could see some young adults being interested also. Um, and it's a more or less memoir of C.C. Bell, slightly fictionalized, and also their rabbits. That's fine. And it's just <laughs> the story of her losing her hearing after a childhood illness and getting fitted for hearing aids. It's the kind of thing where you could easily see it as just being some sort of like very didactic, like, and that's why you shouldn't make fun of kids with hearing aids thing. But it, it really transcends that. It's so funny and cute. Um, it reminds me a lot of Smile by Raina Telgemeier, but uh, with hearing aids instead of braces. Um, <laughs> just that kind of... You know, the the hearing aids are are there, and it's definitely a prominent part of it, but it's also very much just this funny, like, childhood story, uh, highly recommended to, you know, any age, any hearing level. Yeah, I would second that recommendation. I've read that as well. It didn't make my top five, but I also <laughs> really liked it. Um, I think basically we've we've all we've both read like all of the things. <laughs> we're just like splitting hairs to like yeah. come up with the top five, but so my next one, my number three is Through the Woods by Emily Carroll. Emily Carroll, you probably know her, even if you don't know her. She does a lot of comics that are posted online, and they're the ones that are they're full screen, very dark, very artistic horror comics. They're all really creepy. I I know that like every year I look forward to like, oh, she's going to post one around Halloween. And I hope it like I can't wait to read it and it's going to be great. This collection is mostly things that have never been posted online before, which was great. It felt like Christmas getting like five new stories all at once. Uh, There's one that's been posted online, which is one of her most famous ones, uh, His Face All Red. And then the rest of them were new for the book. So good, so creepy. She's such a fantastic artist and such a gifted storyteller. Like the the way that she's able to tell these tiny, scary little stories in such a small amount of space, like enough to make you look over your shoulder and be super creeped out. And it's just brilliant. I mean, like even the use of color or the lack of color, you know, frequently 
there's only a couple colors used in each comic and yet they're so good. Highly recommend it. I think technically it's filed under young adults, but absolutely adults as well would enjoy this if you're into that kind of creepy stuff. I, I looked at that one at work and the art is really beautiful, but I would say don't read it because it's too scary. <laughs> <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> um, my number two is a saga by Brian K. Vaughn with art by Fiona Staples. This is one where, like Kate talked about earlier with, um, I think, Raven Boys, like, I kind of felt like maybe I was jumping into it too late, because everyone had been raving about it for so long, and I read, um, I think, are there three volumes available now, or two? Um, I buy monthly, so I'm not sure how many books there are. I hardly ever read single-issue comics, because I I just can't cope, so I have to wait um, until they come (laughs) to trades. I think there's three trades out now, and I think I read them all very shortly together, and um, it's, I thought it was pretty much as good as everyone says it is. It it really surprised me how much I liked it. Um, It's a very cool, like, sci-fi saga, kind of in the, saga, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, kind of in the vein of Star Wars, but not really, just in the way that Star Wars wasn't, was kind of its own thing, I guess. Um, and also I, I really like Lying Cat, which will surprise no one. Yeah. This, yeah, I, I also like highly, highly recommend this book and like really, literally the only reason that it's not on this list is because I tried to keep it to things that like I fully read this year and I've, you know, been reading Saga ongoing. So I was like, all right, I gotta I've been I've been trying to get people to read that enough. Let's let's move on to some new things. <laughs> um but it's it's exceptional. It's extraordinary. I love everything that Brian K. Vaughn writes and um this is no ex- exception. And Fiona Staples art is amazing. Oh mm-hmm. but yeah, totally recommend that one too. Um, but <laughs> that is not my number two. My number two <laughs> is The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, written by Nick Spencer with art mostly by Steve Lieber. This book is so much fun. Mm-hmm. This was, I, so I, I have this really terrible thing that happens to me with comics where I'll get a book that's like my favorite comic that I love and that like I, I'm evangelical about and it'll get canceled. <laughs> and then, like, just when I'm sad about that book being canceled, a new book will come out that I'll love. And these are all, like, kind of offbeat things that are not necessarily super popular. And Superior Foes of Spider-Man was my 2014, like, everyone should be reading this comic. And I was so bummed when it was canceled. Basically, it takes this group that used to exist within the... Spider-Man universe, these, this group of bad guys that was like the best of the best and it was the Sinister Six and it was like, you know, all the worst villains and this two-bit, you know, side villain, C-string bad guy, Boomerang takes it over and he brings in four other, four, yes, because there's only five of them, um, <laughs> four other like C and D list bad guys to like become Spider-Man's new super like dangerous foes. And they're just all dumb assholes. They're so stupid. They're so clumsy and like they don't have their shit together. They don't know what they're doing. They all think they're way worse than they are. 
and it's it's hilarious like the art is hilarious it's very much like in the style of hawkeye like hawkeye matt fraction always says is it's what clint barton does when he's not being an avenger it's what kate bishop does it's like their lives outside of being superheroes and how they're pretty shit at it and this is kind of the same thing but for this group of supervillains, and it's much funnier it's it's these bumbling guys and like their stupid lives and they're like complete inability to get anything done in their personal lives or in their professional lives as supervillains. I laugh out loud at least two or three times every issue. The art is hilarious. Like, everything about it is hysterical and fun and funny. One of the things that people recognize from it, um, there was a frame that was going around Tumblr that was not credited to the artist or writer, but it's um, Boomerang is, is in a pool, and you just see him going, thanks, Obama. <laughs> and then, like, off to the side, Obama's grilling with a bunch of guys from AIM, and he calls back, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's... There's another one that Doom, there's a plot point around a, a portrait of Dr. Doom with his mask off that's clearly worth like a gazillion dollars in a flashback to how the portrait exists. Literally, Dr. Doom is drinking wine and says Doom wants you to draw Doom like one of your French girls. <laughs> it's so funny, you should be reading it. <laughs> I read it because Kate told me to and uh, I agree, it's really great, just not my top five. But it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So what is your number one? My number one pick is Captain Marvel by Kelly Sue DeConnick with art by Marcio Takara. And uh, this is one, I mean, I, I think obviously Captain Marvel is very popular, hashtag Carol Core. And <laughs> I was a little uncertain because the comic rebooted this year and now Captain Marvel went into space. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of liked her on Earth. But what really sold this for me and secured it its number one spot will not surprise anyone who knows me and knows this comic, but Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Um, Carol Danvers, has a cat named Chewie, who's an <laughs> asshole, and, like, you see her, like, she's gonna go into space, and she's kind of asking people, like, will you watch Chewie? And all our friends are like, no. And so she takes her cat into space with her, which obviously makes her the best superhero of all time, like... She is not going to give her cat to a shelter. She's going to take her cat into space with her. God damn it. <laughs> and then she meets up with a rocket raccoon from Guardians of the Galaxy, who um, I wasn't very familiar with Guardians of the Galaxy until the movie came out. And most people weren't probably, but I did love the movie. I loved Rocket Raccoon from it. So I was like, I'm into this now. And then Rocket Raccoon becomes obsessed with her cat, too, and is like, that's not a cat. That's a flurkin. And... And Carol's like, oh, my God, like, settle down, Rocket. It's just a cat. Like, you're being ridiculous. And then <laughs> it turns out, I, I guess spoilers for Captain Marvel, but whatever. Spoilers. Chewie the cat is a flurkin, and it's the funniest thing. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. And I, I guess we'll put panels um, online somewhere where you can look at them. But I'm just going to read you a little bit from the beginning of issue eight of the the new run of Captain Marvel. And first of all, the cover is just everything that I've ever wanted from comics, which is it's Carol Danvers like in a fighting pose and Rocket Raccoon is on her shoulders and then kittens are raining down on them. <laughs> <laughs> and Okay, so the, it starts then af after that glorious cover, which again is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Then uh, there's a little recap in Thought Bubble or like, 
you know, square explanatory bubbles. Where were we? Oh, right. I was en route from Torfa in a borrowed shuttle with Tick, a now-landian stowaway, when we rendezvous with my ship, Harrison, which is being worked on by a talking raccoon from the Guardians of the Galaxy named Rocket. Rocket, convinced my cat Chewie, was a member of a rare and dangerous alien species called the Flurkin, put the word out intergalactically that he had a Flurkin in his custody, which resulted in our being captured by whatever this thing is because it wants my cat, who, it turns out, actually is a Flurkin and has laid an impossible number of eggs in the cargo stow where she is hiding with Tick now. Got that? Oh, and the raccoon reprogrammed my ship's computer, so now it speaks cat. Or Flurkin, I guess. Flurkin cat. <laughs> and it, like, just please read it. And then I'm going to give you one more spoiler because it really, truly is, like, why I love this comic so much. Um, at the end, Carol decides that she needs to leave behind Chewie so that Chewie can care for all of the Flurkin kittens and be safe on this planet because um, now people want the flurkin for reasons I'm not going to explain and she doesn't think it'll be safe. And so she like gets ready to leave the flurkin cat behind. And I cried obviously because, you know, she's being like very self-sacrificial and like she wants, she really wants what's best for her cat, even though her cat's an alien. And then, um, she finds out that Chewie has like stowed himself back on her ship. So she's back in space with her cat and it's so great. It's so great. <laughs> I also, like, I love Captain Marvel. I adore Kelly Sue, and I feel like Captain Marvel has gotten progressively better and better since she took it on. Like, I can see very much how Kelly Sue is growing as a writer and how the character is growing. I just, I love Carol. I love Kelly Sue. I love this book. You should also absolutely be picking it up. And, like, true story, the only reason it's not on my top five is I saw Renata's top five first. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Renata will talk about that, and I can talk about other things. There's a few things that aren't on my list specifically for that reason. Like, Hawkeye probably would have been otherwise, but is not. Yeah. So my number one book uh, comic for 2014 is Lumberjanes, which I think I've talked about on the podcast before. It is a fantastic comic written by Noelle Stevenson and Grace Ellis and uh, drawn primarily by Brooke Allen. And it's just amazing. It's amazing. It's so funny and so fun. It's about a group of girls who are Lumberjane Scouts who are at summer camp together. And weird things are happening at their summer camp. And they have decided that it's up to them to solve the mystery of the camp, much to the consternation of their very frustrated by the book counselor, Jen. Noelle Stevenson said a great thing in an an interview about this, um, about how she loves writing stories with lots of different female characters in them, because usually there's like one girl on a team. And if you're a girl and you're looking for someone to identify with, like that's who you're stuck with the girl. Like that's in a team of archetypes. Like you're the girl, like girl is a personality type. And when you have lots of different women in a book, it gives you lots of different personality types that just happen to be female. And there's more points of contact and points of reference for people. And I absolutely feel that by this book. Um, The girls, there's a group of girls, uh, Joe, April, Mal, Ripley, and Molly. And they're all very different. They're into different things, but they're great friends. They trust each other. They rely on each other. They're not interchangeable. You know, they each play different parts in the story. 
and it's it's great. It's so much fun. It's an all ages comic. I recommend all ages read it. <laughs> Get it for your kids, for your nieces and nephews, for your sister, for your mom, like anyone. You know, make everyone read this book. It's so good. It was supposed to be a mini series, and it's actually been extended into an ongoing. So I'm super psyched to see where it goes after these eight issues are over. So I'm going to read a couple short excerpts. Um, we'll put some panels of this up on the website so that you can see like how great the art is and probably follow it a little better because it's pretty dialogue heavy. I'm going to do my best. So this one is one of my favorite puns from one of my favorite characters in the whole book. And then I'm going to do another one just because the situation is so outlandish. But this is um, the girls are all getting ready to canoe on the river. So Jen says, okay, there are no sharks. Can everyone just please pay attention to the instructions I am trying to give to you? What are you doing? Joe says, me? Nothing. And Molly says, can I get a different life vest? I think this one's for a baby. And Ripley says, Jen, what about eels? Jen, okay, enough. Everyone in the canoes now. Ripley, you're with me. Ripley, no. Molly, are you okay? Mal, I changed my mind. I can't do it. I'm not going out onto the murder river. Molly, you'll do fine. You know those shows make stuff up all the time. Mal, they're based on true events, Molly. Joe, any final tips before we go? April, yeah, don't tip over. <laughs> Jen, congratulations. You've earned the pungent master badge. <laughs> April, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And there actually is a Pungent Master badge. They actually make the badges. It's incredible. Um, and then here's a little bit from issue four when they're out in the woods and they discover some yetis who are like crazy hipsters. And it's amazing. So this is the yetis talking amongst themselves. I'm telling you, humans are so gross. They almost touched me. Ugh. This job is so bogus. Hey, Janice, give me a turn with a Walkman. You don't get a turn. This is my Walkman. I found it. And the girls come out. It's the humans. Ew, ew, squish them. Okay, Yetis, here's what's going to happen. We want to go inside that lighthouse. So you're going to let us inside that lighthouse or else some butts are going to get kicked. Your butts. Specifically by us. We're going to kick your butts. <sighs> no way. It's our job to guard the lighthouse. Your job, huh? And who hired you to do that? Like we'd tell you, hey, jerks, let us in your tower and you can have all my cookies. You, you can have some of my cookies. And she gives them some of the cookies. Like, they're so ridiculous. Oh, it's, it's so funny and so over the top. And it's amazing. You should read this comic. Everyone should read this comic. You should make strangers on the street read this comic. I have a confession that I'm scared to say, but I, I haven't read it yet. But I know <laughs> that I'll love it. It's just, like, partly I do almost always like to wait until things are out in a trade because, like I said, single issues just, like, tend to annoy me. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll break down for this. Well, I think the, the first trade should be coming out soon. I think I looked. I think it's, like, April or something. Oh, that's so far. I know. So that, I think, is why... I was like, oh, maybe I will. Because I do have comics allergy. I do do a case. That's how I'm reading Captain Marvel, in fact. I like it so much. I'm reading single issues. So let that be a ringing endorsement for all of you. Yeah. I would I would totally recommend it. I think you specifically, Renata, will really I know, enjoy it. It sounds so great. 
Um, okay, okay. <laughs> um, that was easy. I know. <laughs> um, but before I can do that, we do have to talk about the worst comic that we both read this year. Oh. And it, uh, indeed. Um, it is called Uncanny Avengers by Rick Remender. Is that how you say his name? I don't fucking care. Yeah. And this is one, like, I'm I'm sort of, like, I don't know, like, a mid-level comics fan. Like, I read several. I am kind of know my stuff, but I'm not, like, hardcore. But I, I've always heard people being like, oh, like, Rick Remender. Like, oh, of course you can't read that. It's by Rick Remender. He's the worst. Like, everything he writes is the worst. And I've never, I'd never read anything by him. But then I, I heard about this new book, Uncanny, new-ish book, Uncanny Avengers, which is, like, a team-up of X-Men and Avengers working together. And I was like, that sounds cool. And there's some characters in it who I really like who, like, weren't in any other teams at the time. And I was like, well, I know everybody says Rick Remender sucks, but, like, I'm intrigued enough that I'm going to try reading this. And it fucking sucks. Oh, my God. It's it's just it was terrible. And I wasn't like opposed to the idea. I will admit I was a little annoyed at first when I first heard about it. Like, I don't like Rick Remender, but like, I don't necessarily uh, I'm willing to give almost anyone a shot. And I was willing to give him a shot before this book. So I was like, all right, whatever. I read one issue. It was just, uh, I was already a little annoyed because I, um, like, am kind of a strong Lorna Dane, Alex Summers shipper, um, which I know is super boring because they've been together on and off forever, but I do really love them together. And I was kind of annoyed that this broke them up so that he could come do this and Lorna could stay with X Factor. And I think X Factor got canceled. And I liked X Factor. Yeah. But that's a separate rant. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so I was kind of bummed. And then, like, oh, it's just like such garbage. It was poorly written. It was just, I, I'm trying to remember how I did the impression. Like, Alex gives this speech. Like, it's this whole thing that was just so infuriating where he's like, I don't like the label of mutants. Like, mutant like why do you have to have labels for everything like it's so stupid like labels are just a way that people will bully you more and i don't like label like don't call me a mutant my name's alex just call me alex like why do you need to call me anything and it's like this big public speech he gives it's just so infuriating okay havoc whatever uh it's the whole book is so infuriating it's made me mad i hate it like that's the worst part about reading comics is that any fucking idiot off the street can be hired to write your favorite character and screw them up (laughs) and like they could have dibs on characters like renata said there were a lot of cool characters in this book that weren't in other books at the time and like this jerk's got dibs on them and is writing terrible stories about them and nobody else can be writing them except for wolverine who can be in like eight books at a time yes but even after his death, he's in, like, eight books <laughs> at a time. Well, plus his clones. Yes. <laughs> um, I read, um, I know you said you only read the first issue, and I actually read the first two trades of it, because we had them at the library, and I checked them out, and I just kept, and I, I don't know, they don't take that long to read, and I kept being like, maybe this will get better, maybe it'll get better, but it never got better. It got worse, and it got more, like, nonsense, and I... I, like, I read comics, I have a pretty high tolerance for nonsense and, like, whatever, but this was just, like, 
it didn't make sense. It was like too convoluted. Neither of us actually has the book to do a read aloud. I pulled up some random panel on Tumblr. It was, it I think encapsulates what I'm talking about. And I'm just going to read the dialogue and not give you any context because you don't, it's okay, whatever. To action, Infinity Watch. This is it, the crux of the last timeline, the prime hour when Kang sees his dominion all over life. Take Kang's puppets down while I hunt him. You heard him, Mortis. Make no mistake. If we fail here, all other possibilities are lost, and the Kang ascendancy will be irreversible. Ugh. Marvel? We have to find Kang, Steve. He'll have predicted all of your Avengers. The Infinity Watch is the only hope of stopping him. I don't know where he is or what he could be after. Like, that's nonsense. It's all nonsense. And it... I'm gonna have a rage joke. Yeah. It's like a parody of what... I mean, I'm all for people... I I, I mean, I just I, raved, raved about a comic where um, a, a super-powered woman finds out that her cat is secretly a space alien. Like, I'll go in pretty deep with some crazy shit, but this is just, like, too much. Yeah, it... I, it, I, I don't want to say... I'm, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. I like superhero-y super books, uh, superhero books. Like, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, well, I read comics, but not like superhero books. I, But I, I think there are some legitimate, some legitimate criticisms of the superhero genre and what happens when, like, franchises become overbloated and will put out whatever they can and whatever they want and not give a lot of thought to, like, story. And I feel like this is, like, all of those criticisms, like, all of those legitimate reasons why people don't like superhero comics encapsulated in one book. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all the worst things. It's why superhero comics have a bad name. It's poorly characterized, all over the place, nonsense, that, like... Complicated timelines, bringing up shit that happened, like, forever ago, and, like, expecting you to have followed a bunch of different timelines, and uh, just... <sighs> yeah. Do not read this comic. Even if, like me, you're like, oh, Scarlet Witch, no. Yeah, even if you're like, oh, the Wasp <sighs> is back. No. Rick Remender doesn't deserve the Wasp. Recommender doesn't like you know how I said before that like oh like I'll give anyone a shot this book and some other things that happened with Rick Remender recently are things that have caused me to like now he's on like my no list <laughs> my automatic no list I think this I think this is the only person on my no list <laughs> well in terms of comics I don't know yeah I have a couple like artists who are on my no list and there might be a couple other writers I guess yeah I guess there's a couple other writers too but, and I'm normally not a person who, like, I don't want to say I don't pay a lot of attention to art when I'm reading comics, but it's not super important to me. But there are some artists who I'm like, no, no, I will not read that book if they're doing the pencils. <laughs> anyway, I think that's it from us. I think so, too. Oh, you might be wondering what Duarte's favorite book of 2014 is. Um, I'll give him a moment to explain. And it probably won't surprise you to to know that he also really liked Captain Marvel. He's really happy to see um, positive representation of evil space cats. 
I'm not I'm not surprised at all, you know. I'm I'm glad though that that Duarte is a member of the Carol Corps or at least the <laughs> Chewy Corps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> proud proud Chewy Corps member. <laughs> So thanks for listening to all of our favorites. And I hope that we were able to inject a little bit of positive into your holiday experience uh, when we're usually pretty good at just rolling around in negativity. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Yeah, because we we do read some books that we like sometimes. Often. We read some books (laughs) that just make us cry when we like look at the cover. So (sighs) yeah. But thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with our next episode in real time of an actual book. Um, In the meantime, you can listen to old episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you do, please be sure to rate and review us. You know, start off the new year by doing a good deed Mm -hmm. to some people on the internet who would really appreciate it. Resolve to boost our self-esteem. Yes. You can also check out our website at worstbestsellers.com. You can follow us on Twitter at worstbestseller with no S. And you can always email us at worstbestsellers at gmail.com with suggestions of other books that we should be covering. Well, Happy New Year to all you guys. Hope that you continue to listen to us in 2015. And if not, we understand there's a lot of other podcasts out there. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's fine. It's fine. It's you totally can fine. Have to <laughs> we're just crying we're not crying about you we're crying about documentaries that we watched (laughs) (laughs) okay bye bye